Welcome to the Smart Industry Podcast, Remaking Industry, where we dive deep into the tools, techniques, and technologies that are accelerating digital transformation. All right, thank you for joining us today. My name is Chris McNamara, Editor-in-Chief with Smart Industry, and today on the podcast we have Greg Elfering with uh, Ultimaker Americas. Greg is the president. Greg, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Chris, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Give us a little bit of background. Um, who, what is Ultimaker? So Ultimaker is a, a company that started 10 years ago in the Netherlands, um, essentially a, uh, a startup. Uh, we came to the United States um, five years ago and established a manufacturing facility here and have been uh, selling and manufacturing and supporting our products here for the last five years here in the United States. Um, but Ultimaker as a company is unique in the sense that uh, we started as a company that commercialized open IP. So similar to the computer industry with Linux, um, there was a number of universities that print that published uh, open intellectual property. And as a result, Ultimaker got started down this path of being an, an open uh, by nature company. Our machines are driven by G-code, which is a standard programming language. Um, you know, we're using third-party materials from, from the major chemical companies. And, uh, and our software is essentially shared for free um, with the world. Um, we, we make it available to anyone who wants to download it. So, you know, we're a unique company in the sense that, um, you know, we're not all hung up on on uh, controlling all our own intellectual property. We've been very generous with sharing it. Uh, we want the 3D printing pie to grow. Um, and as a result, we've been really successful primarily in the early days in education. Uh, we continue to be, but we've since grown um, as a company that's, that's uh, really taking off as a manufacturing tool. So you'll find these in the machine shops or in the tool rooms of you know fortune 500 companies supporting their factories okay and we're focusing on additive manufacturing in today's installment uh, otherwise known as 3d printing um, and it's among the technologies and the toys um, that fall under this digital transformation um, umbrella I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, 3d printing um, in terms of the breadth of uh, applications and the speed that it enables manufacturers to produce things and to pivot. Um, it's all very, um, very interesting cutting edge stuff and it's been fun to watch it um, evolve just in the past, say five years, um, how things have changed. Let's start with a fun question for you first here, Greg. Strangest thing you've ever seen 3D printed. What's uh, what, the most unusual thing you've ever seen come out of a uh, 3D printer? You know, I would I would answer it as the most unusual way um, things are three D printed. So the best example is a uh, what what I call a, sh a shore to ship solution, and it's where in this case the Dutch Navy has engineers at a at a naval base. They uh, they know what. They know what the drawings and specs of their ships are at sea. Mm -hmm. um, a ship radios them and says, hey, we've got the following broken component. They have a 3D printer on board that ship loaded with approved materials. Those engineers pull drawings 
uh, and email a file to that ship that a, um, a sailor can print. Not an engineer, not someone in manufacturing, but a sailor, someone yeah. who, is, who is trained in this case by the Dutch Navy uh, to try and keep that ship running. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a, you know, the whole concept of, of uh, something getting emailed and being made on board and being used right there you know, to me, that's a real revolutionary way of, of 3D printing getting adopted. You know, yeah, it's for sure. never you know, been that deployed. Extrapolate on that. I don't know if you'd even know this answer, but have you heard any examples of um, this technology being used on the International Space Station? Yeah, there is. Um, so there's a couple initiatives going on where 3D printing is is being tested in space. I know that NASA um, had put out uh, an SBIR, uh, which is the US government's way of, of conducting research, um, and essentially asked for all the 3D printing companies to provide technology and concepts that could help them make parts in space. Yeah. And, um, and subsequently, there have been a number of 3D printing devices that have been sent up into space that are doing things like printing um, skin cultures and uh, um, cellular type structures. These are actually organic type printing where they think um, the fact that there is zero gravity can, can have a difference in how that experiment turns out. Yeah, right. Um, and also purity. There's a, there's a way to, uh, to control some types of impurities that are, are you know, from our atmosphere. So um, that type of experiment, both with, you know, using it as a device to be a future part producer for like a mission to Mars, that's ongoing right now. And then also, you know, there is a lot of research and development going on, you know, because these are very precise ways of depositing material in three dimensions. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Let's get back uh, on planet Earth here. Let's talk about the the most common industrial applications of um, 3D printing. But where is this most commonly used in the manufacturing or the industrial space? So, you know, 3D printing still to this day is a dominant technology for prototyping. It it was the first, like, breakthrough blockbuster application for 3D printing. Mm -hmm. You know, it took took the whole concept of, hey, I got an idea. You can get that idea made within hours or days. Yeah. Um, And, and Greg, why why is that? Why why, um, prototyping still as opposed to, you know, mass fabrication is it cost i mean is it it makes sense if you're making one of these as a model but it currently doesn't make sense if you're manufacturing a million pieces yeah so i, I would say that's still a very true statement um it's getting it's getting better you know um additive manufacturing keeps either capitalizing on what i call mass complexity so designs where an engineer has just accepted the fact that this is a very complex design yeah maybe it's got a lot of part consolidation so it's multiple parts put together into one, um, you know, that typically in an, in an engineering manufacturing environment, you try and simplify things, but then that creates a, a complexity in your supply chain. Sure. So, so with 3D printing, you can go the opposite way where the complexity really doesn't add much cost in the printing and it saves a whole bunch of cost in the actual, you know, supply chain of that product. So that's been a big driver of, adoption of 3D printing in in aviation and it probably will continue in automotive. Mm-hmm. Give me an example in automotive. What um what components are we talking about? 
Complete so, electric uh, engines or something more uh, granular than that or what? No. So, I mean, the first would be um, I would start like in the factory where typically uh, uh, the people that are actually manufacturing cars, you know, the assembly line workers, um, they may have a number of jigs and fixtures that they send out for machining. Mm -hmm. And they'll have an engineer who will watch what goes on in that factory and what's, you know, what's causing downtime, what's causing problems, you know, damage, waste, scrap. And, and, and today we've got a lot of examples where those engineers have used 3D printing. They've either consolidated parts, re-engineered parts because, hey, we're just going to print these on demand. We're going to save this file in a digital library and the maintenance person is gonna reprint this file on demand. And it's, we're, we're engineering it to work, which is, um, which is a lot different than how it was traditionally done, which is you're engineering it to work, but also to be simply made. Yeah. And, and that's, a big, uh, that's, a big, that's a big trade-off, unfortunately, for a lot of um, customers. Yeah. So let's talk about um, the most commonly um, produced products currently um, via additive manufacturing and, and, and or maybe even extrapolate a little bit about what verticals are most um, aggressively adopting this technology. So the still to this day, the, um, you know, the earliest adopters were the automotive, the aviation, medical device, consumer yeah. products, um, even, you know, even uh, consumer products like shoes and, and apparel, accessories. Mm -hmm. Um, so that again, you know, we see the uptake in those types of industries continuing, you know, I would say the biggest like breakthrough application next to prototyping for Ultimaker is jigs and fixtures. And, and it really comes down to these machines are starting to act like little machining centers, um, for someone who doesn't know how to machine. Yeah. Because they have, they have the file in, in CAD. They've got some software called Cura from Ultimaker that lets them, you know, basically uh, bring it into the 3D world. That software we give away for free. It's, uh, you know, ultimaker.com, it's Cura, C-U-R-A. And an engineer can, you know, set the part up for printing. And that's a very, you don't have to be a skilled technician or an engineer to do that. You should be able to be making a part within 15 to 20 minutes of taking that printer out of the box. Yeah, it democratizes the, um, the process. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, and it does. That's a great way to, to classify it. it democratizes it because it puts it in the hands of kids at school, engineers at work, maintenance people in a factory floor. Um, you know, that's it's starting to really broaden out into a lot more hands than just 10 years ago. So talk to me about that, that um, interplay between the software and the hardware. Um, you know, you're at, at the front end of our discussion here, you were um, touting the the um, software as a major um, benefit of of your offering. Um, how critical is it that that the um, you know the, the software has a has a seamless relationship with the hardware in terms of additive manufacturing? So you know, in in, in a true manufacturing. Um, control you know you want to minimize as many variables as possible mm -hmm. and and you would ideally like to work with standards so i'm measuring this the same way as we've measured other things it's a proven dependable way 
you know, it's based on a standard. So one thing, for example, that Ultimaker does is, uh, you know, we have an electromechanical device. We've got this Cura software that I talked about. What is Cura doing? It's generating G-code. So someone who knows how to, to write, read and write G-code, you know, like for example, a CNC programmer, um, you know, that was the original programming language for driving a CNC machine. They could look at what Cura outputs, if you went and looked at it as a, as a text file, they would see G-code. And they would see all the commands and instructions that are making that printer do what it is it, it's doing. Mm-hmm. They could go in there and make modifications. There's, there's things they know as a programmer that they can, they can enable the machine to take shortcuts. They can speed up uh, the process. So there's a couple things that are going on with that from the, har- from the software to the hardware. For us, that's a big deal in how we control the printer. You know, for example, we, we have these things called print profiles. Um, every material has a unique print profile. We provide a very professional way of customers getting those print profiles. They're, they're available for free through our software. The chemical companies actually aren't involved in writing them, so there's a, a very high probability they will work. Those profiles, those software profiles, control the accuracy of a part. So if you choose engineering profiles, you are gonna be able to control that part between 3,000s, 5,000s, um, you know, per few inches of build area. If you choose standard or if you choose surface finish um, or fine resolution, you're going to see trade-offs in speed. You're going to see trade-offs in um, part density, which will affect uh, strength. All sure. of these are variables that the, that the user can select that will basically put them into a zone of how that 3D printer runs. And, and I assume there's a, there's a huge variance in terms of the, the profiles there if you're dealing with, you know, what, we, what you mentioned earlier, fabricating skin tissue versus a hard plastic versus some type of metallic, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, you've got just even go, if you're just think about the polymer world, you'll have, you know, a material like PLA, which will have a, a lower melt temperature than something like nylon. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and also you may have a customer that just wants a, a fast model. You know, it's just an architectural model to show a skyline of a city. Sure. Um, you know, maybe they, they just want it as fast as possible. Whereas you may have another customer that really wants something as high resolution as possible. It's going to be used as, um, you know, something to, you know, have a, another part mating against it. So it's got to have a smooth and accurate surface finish. Um, you would you would choose a, maybe a different material and and also a different configuration file. Right. Um, how's the pandemic changing things? Um, and I I think I know your uh, your answer in, in speaking with other people in this field. Um, but what is the um, pandemic doing uh, in terms of adoption or breadth of application with additive manufacturing? You know, it's affected us two ways. And, and one of the ways was at the beginning, and then again, it's happening now. Uh, and that's MRO, maintenance repair. Um, so what happened early on, you know, if you, if you back up into January, the world knew there was a p- pandemic. You know, we knew that there was this outbreak in, in China, and it, and it hadn't uh, reached our shores yet. Um, it, was, it was days away or, or weeks away from reaching our shores. But the reality was that shut down China. So there was a lot of customers who were scrambling to try and make things to keep their factories going. 
Sure. The first, you know, immediate reaction to the pandemic for 3D printing was, hey, listen, we need to make this part. Anyone got any ideas? Yeah, we got a couple 3D printers in the in the shop. Let's go ahead and start making it and quickly get them into the factory, see how that goes, and, and we'll move on to plan B. Um, the next the next big like thing that happened was, you know, the the outbreak or the the pandemic, you know, became real here. And our supply chains were caught flat-footed. Um, you know that we quickly ran out of PPE. Uh, we we had something unique that happened for for the first time. The uh, NIH published some files that allowed the world to take these files and start pr- printing PPE. Mm-hmm. And so there was this approved or validated file that was put out by a government entity that quickly became a way hospitals, doctors, nurses, frontline workers. Um, and when I say frontline workers, I saw police officers, paramedics, actually with 3D printed uh, protection equipment, you know, visors, um, ear savers and stuff like that, that were real. I mean, these were, that's where I saw them in my community. Yeah. You know, and if you asked them, how come you're using that or how did you get that? They're like, well, the local school district was printing these for us. Um, you know, and it's, it, it was amazing how fast the adoption of the file format to actual physical product got to the world. It was it was hours, days, and it went that way on a repetitive basis for about four weeks. And then you saw the regular supply chain start to cut in. And so it very much was you know, a spike in, in massive 3D printing. We saw where, you know, material sales went up 50, 60%. We donated a lot of materials during that period. Um, you know, so it wasn't all revenue for us, but, um, you know, that's since subsided because, you know, normal manufacturing's uh, done what it's good at. It's manufacturing in huge quantities. Um, but But for that three or four week period, that's where 3D printing really got a star. Yeah, because it, it, it delivered and it, and it delivered in almost like a swarm environment. The world realized, wow, there's 3D printers all over the place that are actually contributing PPE to us. And that awareness of the capabilities and that forced um, adoption will only snowball. Right. I mean, it, yes, yeah. you, it, it's you know, if you go back to what I said earlier, where the second phase of the MRO is what we're in today which is, you know, how do you, how do you uh, make parts for ventilators? How do you, you know, there's the world has changed how we look at supply chains uh, and a 3D printer is, is more of a proven solution today from this pandemic than ever before. Mm-hmm. It, it is a useful tool for your maintenance and repair and operation of your facility. Last question for you, Greg. What most excites you about the near future of 3D printing? What's coming down the road in the coming months or years in this space that uh, most excites you? Uh, you know, it's the it's the range of applications and solutions. So we see we we see it right now on the very front end. You know, a lot of these high end materials, you know, polypropylene materials and glass filled and carbon filled materials. Mm-hmm. They're solutions in and of themselves. I mean, for the last 30 years, the world has been replacing metal with plastic. Why? Because we keep making plastic better and better. And 3D printing is picking up right off, you know, right 
onto that transition and we're able to not only remake plastic parts, but again, in a, in a, in a maintenance and repair type of, of organization, there's a huge move to get away from metal and to go to plastic. It's lighter. It doesn't wear out the expensive part it's mating against. It's pro, you know, in most cases, it's chemical resistant. Um, so, you know, and if you're spraying things with alcohol or, or cleaning or solvents to, to, uh, in a pandemic, um, chemical resistance starts to become more important. Sure. Um, so there, there's a, that's to me what's most exciting right now about 3D printing is, is really kind of the library of materials, at least for Ultimaker being an open material company. And then all of the, of the electromechanical modifications and software modifications that help us to control the process. And, and you know, we, we are a manufacturing device. So being able to control that process is going to deliver a higher quality part to our end user customer. And there, and there is a lot of room for improvement there. Excellent. Greg Alferin with Ultimaker. Thank you for joining us today. Chris, thank you very much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Look forward to yeah. seeing you in person in the future here. Yeah, likewise. And I, I love following along with um, 3D printing. I think it's just so fascinating. And, and every week it seems like we're hearing new and, and, and fascinating applications of this. So um, it will only continue to do, um, get more and more interesting. Love it. Yeah. Good stuff. Appreciate Wonderful. your question. Thanks again, Greg. And to our listeners, as always, we remind you to go out and make it a smart day. 